You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. So proud of our teen ministry. All right, I'm going to say a prayer. God, thank you to be able to be together today. Thank you to be able to worship you and sing songs about who you are and the way that you love us. Thank you for our amazing teen ministry, and thank you to be able to uh, be led by them in worship today. Pray that you'd be with those among us who are sick or who are uh, going through difficult times. I know the holidays can be hard for some and uh, can be a time that reminds us of our loss, and I just pray that you'd be with those people in a very special way. Pray for Julian Huerta, who's recovering from uh, being bitten by a dog, and uh, gosh, just feels so uh, bad for him, God. I just pray that you'd be with the surgeons, and uh, for, for him to be able to fully recover. Uh, I know it's just scary what he went through, and just really pray that you'd be with him, uh, and be with the Huerta family. Uh, thank you for uh, just what a treasured possession they are uh, to you, God, and what a treasured part of our church they are. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen. So it's great to hear from the teens today. We're going to be talking about Nick at Night today. Who remembers Nick at Night? Okay. So for the uh, teenagers, you guys know what Nick at Night is? Okay, yeah. So it was still around, I think, when you were little, right? Probably. So before streaming, right? Before streaming, you had to actually watch shows when they came on. And so Nick at Night was... Uh, was programming for young people on Nickelodeon, but at night they tried to make it a little more edgy, like a little more for the teens or whatever, right? So, so um, but we're actually talking about Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. So that's where we get Nick at night. And uh, talking about, I know, it's very clever. It's very, very clever. Yeah. Hey, I got to inject dad humor wherever I can. So, uh, you know, th this time of year, Christmas is really all about Jesus. It's all about who Jesus is and him coming to earth in, in human form. Uh, and the encounters that people had with Jesus, uh, the, the shepherds or the wise men encountering him as a baby. A lot of people kind of like that image of Jesus as a baby because he's sort of non-threatening, you know. But uh, Jesus grew up and he became a man. And he not only became a man, he became uh, the savior of the world. And he is God in the flesh. And uh, Nicodemus has this interaction with Jesus that I think we can learn from, and I think has to do with what some of the teens are sharing about today. And so, uh, to set this up, I know this is a familiar passage. Go ahead and turn over to John 3, if you would. Uh, John 3, you can follow along. Um, if you don't have a Bible, just Google John 3 on your phone, and it'll give you the whole chapter there. And, uh, but Andy uh, Seberg is going to do a reading for us from a, uh, a novel called The List. This was written by Buck Storm and Bill Perkins who is uh, related to uh, uh, Sean and Lisa Payne. It's Lisa's cousin? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Buck is? Okay. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's a cool, it's a, it's, a, it's a story about Nicodemus and Joseph and Arimathea and kind of, you know, it's all fictional, but it's interesting. It's pretty true to the, the world of the first century. But just to kind of give us a flavor of what this might have been like, Andy's going to come up and read this uh, uh, chapter from this book for us. So, you know, how it is when you sit, when you re hit, listen to a reading for a while, you've got to kind of turn off your brain and the other things you're thinking about. Just kind of enter the world of the first century as Andy comes and reads this for us. From up here, though, Andy, you've got to be up here. That's your cue. 
We won't hear you down there. I was so, I was so, <laughs> the world, the book. Okay. Just so you guys know, it's a full chapter, so, you know, get, get, get on your reading hats. Ready? All right. All right, let's go. A big man looked down, dark hair to his shoulders, thick beard. He had very rough hands, working hands. He eyed Nicodemus for a long few seconds. He crossed his massive arms across his chest and leaned a shoulder against the jam. The strangest thing, he smiled. Are you lost, Pharisee? I hope not. I was looking for Yeshua, the Nazarene. You're a long way from the upper city, my friend. These lower streets aren't safe, you know. You believe someone would harm a Pharisee? The man lifted a muscled shoulder. These are all sorts of people in the world. You would never know. The gentle demeanor of a, such a huge, rough character disarmed him. Nicodemus' tides of nerves receded a few feet. What have I to fear when an oak tree answers the door and calls me his friend? What's your name? A grin. Nathaniel. It's nice to meet you. I'm, I know who you are, Nicodemus. The man made no effort to move from the doorway. You're a strange little mouse, though. Not what I expected. Expected? What do you want from Yeshua? The same as the rest? See him pull, from, see him pull a shekel from thin, thin air? Make a monkey disappear, the giant said? No, I, nerves pressed again, closing Nicodemus' mouth. A hand appeared on the big man's shoulder. He stepped back but didn't leave. Another man, somewhat smaller than the first, but still a head taller than Nicodemus, stepped into the doorway. His eyes were light, inquisitive. So, our Pharisees arrived? And he's a strange one, Nathaniel said. What's happening here? I should go, Nicodemus said. I think there's been some mistake. You're Nicodemus, correct, of the Sanhedrin? Light eyes interrupted. Yes, how did you? Then there's no, then there's no mistake. Yeshua wants to talk to you. Come follow. He, start, he started toward the interior. Nicodemus stood his ground. And you are, the man turned. I'm Philip. You two are disciples of the Nazarene? Two of many, Nathaniel said. You, you believe in him strongly then? Yeshua is the son of God, Nathaniel said. Nicodemus still hadn't passed through the doorway. The son of God? You call him the son of God, why? Because you believe he turned water into wine? Nathaniel shrugged. What can I tell you that you'll believe? Come and see. Yes, please. He's waiting for you. Follow now, Philip added. Nicodemus felt his pharisaical, sorry, it's a big word, dignity slipping away, water through fingers. I don't think either of you understand. It's the other way around. I wanted to talk to him. He didn't summon me. The one Philip called smiled. All right. If it makes you feel better, now, are you coming or not? Nicodemus glanced up at Nathaniel. Do, do I have a choice? Of course, we all have a choice, Philip said. Nicodemus stood tall as his frame would allow, considering. All right, lead on. I told you he was a strange one, Nathaniel said. They passed, quiet, uh, they passed through a sparse room. A woman and a man talked quietly on cushions against the one wall. They took no notice of Nicodemus. Only a single lamp burned, casting its on delighting light on the walls and low, thatched ceiling. Then a rear door and 
Wait, then a rear, rear door and it into a fetched yard, fenced yard, much bigger than Nicodemus would have expected. A single torch burned, coals small, smoldered in an outdoor oven. The fami familiar and comforting aroma of baking bread permeated through the night. Several people stood or sat, talking, laughing so softly. Some ate, others sipped from clay cups, and what Nicodemus assumed to be wine. Are you hungry, thirsty, Philip said? No, thank you. Is he? And then Yeshua was right there, right in front of him. Not several yards away like that day in Stoa, but the same Yeshua. And Nicodemus was back on the precipice, fighting for balance. Seeing the same sun, darkened face, same rough cropped hair, dark but bleached lighter, almost gray in places by the sun and wind. An irrational temptation to run, to retreat, came over Nicodemus. Stop it, are you a child? Then Yeshua smiled, a sunrise of joy. Nicodemus felt hot tears well up. What's the matter with you? Get a hold of yourself. Yeshua smiled, offered no quarter. Deep lines around the mouth and eyes. He, here was no king, no handsome striking figure to pump in fear into the hearts of the enemy. The man was completely plain and completely beautiful. Come, Pharisee, sit, Philip said. Nicodemus did, taking a stool across from Yeshua. The man didn't say anything but those eyes. For an instant, Nicodemus had the ridiculous urge to cover himself or look away or hide. Anything to escape this, those smiling faces laying him bare. Those smiling eyes laying him bare, sorry. Uh, instead, he did what he always did. He buried his discomfort in words. Rabbi, a little flattery could, couldn't hurt. We know you must be the teacher sent from God. No one could do the signs you do unless God was with him. Not a lie exactly, but still, Joseph's, Joseph's story about the tavern magician and the donkey tugged at the edge of his mind. Ye Yeshua studied him. Then amazingly, the man leaned forward and put a hand on Nicodemus' knee. Touch him, a Pharisee. A member of the great Sanhedrin? When he spoke, his voice was unremarkable, yet the conversation in the yard quieted. At least that, that was Nicodemus' memory of what happened when he thought about it later. Listen to me, Nicodemus, Yeshua said. Unless a man is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. Born again? What do you mean? But how can, he grow, how can a man grow and be born? How can a grown man be born? He can't grow back into his mother's womb a second time, can he? That smile again. Listen to what I'm saying. Unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. A herd of questions galloped through Nicodemus' mind, leaving him dizzy. Yeshua laughed. Look, what's born of flesh is flesh. What's born of spirit is spirit. So don't wonder that I told you. you so don't wonder that I told you you need to be born again. A welcome breeze rose, cooling the yard, making the tor torch flames dance. See, Yeshua went on, not waiting for Nicodemus to reply. The wind blows where where it wants. You hear the sound of it. Where does it come from? Where is it going? That's the way it leads everyone born, with the spirit, born of the Spirit. Nicodemus leans forward, or is pulled. He couldn't be sure. In fact, the whole thing was, being, was beginning to feel like a dream. The kingdom of God, physical versus spiritual. Could the man read minds? 
This was no blustering would-be Messiah. In fact, Yeshua was like no one Nicodemus had ever come across before. How can these things be? Yeshua leaned back. Are you really the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? How in the world did this man know him? Yeshua's gaze wandered the yard for a second or two. When his eyes found Nicodemus again, the joy had ebbed. Chased away by what? Regret? No, a more a deep, deep sadness. We talk about what we know. We testify what we, about what we've seen with our own eyes. But you won't receive a witness, our witness, will you? Yeshua ran rough fingers through his hair, shook his head. Here I am, only telling you earthly things and you don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, remember? The same thing has happened to me, the Son of Man, so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Eternal life? And who or what was the Son of Man? Was he talking about himself? Surely he wasn't equating himself with God. The Son of God, Nathaniel had said? Whether the Nazarene was equating himself with God or not, it seemed his disciples had no problem doing just that. Again, Yeshua seemed to, to thumb through Nicodemus' thoughts with ease. The sunrise smile. He reached for Nicodemus' knee again. For God so loved the world, he gave his, them his only son, so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. He didn't send his son to judge the world, but so the world can be saved through him. Judgment. He speaks of judgment to a member of the Sanhedrin. If Barel or Caiaphas were here, they would have the man flogged on the spot. Yeshua lifted the cup and sipped, eyeing Nicodemus over the rim. He lowered it and stood in a fluid moment. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and he won't come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. Nicodemus looked up at the man. I think I was wrong. I shouldn't have come here. Those eyes again, searching, speaking, pulling. Nicodemus, he who practices the truth, he who seeks the truth, comes to the light. Everything he does is birthed in God. But you came, Nicodemus, the eyes seemed to say. You sought the truth. Then it was over. The eyes released him. Yeshua walked over to the outdoor oven. A man cut a chunk of meat from a larger piece roasting over the coals, tore a fistful of bread, and handed both over to the Nazarene. Yeshua laughed and said something Nicodemus couldn't make out. Philip, Philip touched Nicodemus on the elbow. Feel better, Pharisee? Time to go now. He headed over for the door, leading the interior room and then the street. With a last look at Yeshua, Nicodemus trotted after. No, no, I don't feel better. He didn't answer my question. I came to hear about the signs. How does he do signs? You're wrong. At the front door, Nicodemus stepped out, then turned and looked back. About which? About what I came for? About or what he didn't answer. About both, Philip said. He smiled and closed the door. Good job. I, I like that treatment because it has all the text in there, everything from the Bible, but adds a lot of, of flavor. You know, who knows what it was exactly like, but just kind of gives you a feel of that interaction. And I think he captures uh, Nicodemus's character pretty well from what we know of him being a Pharisee and a member of the ruling council. I like how he ends with, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, Philip is like, you're wrong. 
And, and the fact is, you know, as we encounter Jesus, we're all wrong. We're all wrong about something. We've all done wrong. We're all, I mean, you might as well just settle in. You're wrong. We don't like to be wrong, do we? I just want to, I want to always be right. I want to always know everything. We had, uh, Dessa, just like this last week, we were talking about some word, and I used the word wrong, and she was like, I think it's like, I think that, I think you're looking for this word. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. It's that word. And she goes, I was right, and you were wrong? <laughs> and I was like, yes. Um, you know, because she jokes about my grad school words and stuff like that all the time, but. But yeah, we, we, we don't like to be wrong. We, we, we want to be right. There's, we, we have, we're good friends with a couple that I remember them calling me after a sermon one time because they were arguing about who, who had the right notes about what I had said about something or other, and they had to settle the argument. Uh, you know, just, we're all like that, right? So it just helps to just kind of own it. I am wrong about something. You're wrong about the nature. You, you can't know the nature of God. You can't know you know, everything there is to know. We're, we're, all, we're all misconceptions. And so it helps to kind of go, okay, as I approach Jesus, I know I'm probably wrong about something. And he, he is here to show me the truth. Jesus is here to show me God. He says, when you see me, you see God. And uh, so it's not about having all the answers, but knowing who has the answers, and that's Jesus. So even at one point, his followers, you know, a lot of his followers leave because he's saying some stuff that is challenging. It's a few chapters later in John 6. And they can't understand it. Even to this day, we don't fully understand what he meant. A lot of his disciples leave him, but his 12, the, the main ones, they're sticking with him. And he goes, do you guys want to leave too? And they go, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So it, it's knowing who has the answers, even if you don't know who has the answers. But uh, I, I love this, this encounter uh, with, with Nicodemus because Nicodemus, again, he was the top of his world. He had accomplished all that could be accomplished. I mean, he's part of the Jewish ruling council. He's the very top of his society. And he was most likely wealthy. He and Joseph of Arimathea were both probably wealthy men. Um, and uh, so, so he was the top guy. It's, like, it's kind of like if a senator came to visit you. You know, like that's the status that he had. Uh, and, uh, and so he's I, I like how in this story, he's expecting Jesus to be deferential and like, oh, wow, I can't believe Nicodemus is blessing me. Come to see me. With, uh, and he would, he would want to ask my advice. You know, Jesus would want to ask my advice and, and let, me, let me tell him a little bit about how he might want to be running his ministry or whatever. And Jesus is, the first thing he says is like, it's all a waste. You, you need to start over. You're not even going to see the kingdom. You need to be born again. You need to start your whole life over. Like, it, what impresses the world doesn't impress Jesus. What impresses the world doesn't impress Jesus. And I think that's important, you know, for the teens in the teen ministry, because in the teens is when you really, when you're a teenager, that's where you really start to feel that pressure of what's accepted in the world and what the world thinks is cool. And, and you know, I remember feeling like, and I don't know if this is true for you guys, but I remember feeling like in high school, like the people who were the most popular, well-known kids in high school, they were almost on equal status with like celebrities. You know, like, like, like they had that much power. And then you, you, you graduate from high school and you move on in life and you don't even remember those people, right? You know, especially the farther distance you get. But when you're in high school, it's so significant, right? And so everybody has those kinds of social circles. Maybe it's your job, uh, you know, the, the, the people who have power at your job or whatever organization you're a part of. 
But what impresses the world doesn't impress Jesus. And so that can give us courage that, that he says his kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. It has a different kind of power, and you only see that kind of power by being born again. And uh, being born of water and the Spirit, he says, which uh, is most likely a, a foreshadowing of Christian baptism. And, and there, there was John's baptism already at this point, but after Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, his followers would practice Christian baptism where uh, someone makes Jesus Lord of their life. They're buried with Jesus in baptism, just like Jesus went into the ground and then rose again from the dead. So when we're baptized, we go under the water, and that, that represents dying to our old life. And then we come up a new person, a new creation, uh, born again, right? Born of water and born of the Spirit. So that's the way that we are able to, to have that new beginning. That's the way we are able to have this new life and, and new uh, uh, forgiveness of our sins. And, and what he talks about here, that, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever, perishes, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that comes through that process of following Jesus and being born again. And he, he, he gives this uh, allusion to this Old Testament story. If you don't know this, you're going to be really confused. Like, look at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So that's a weird verse. Just as the snake was lifted up in the desert, what in the world is he talking about? Some of you, I won't ask for a show of hands, some of you might know exactly what he's talking about. Some of you might be like, what in the world is that? So there's this story in the Old Testament. It's kind of an odd story uh, back with, in Moses' time where the people had rebelled, and so there's this plague, and they're dying. Uh, and, and they're dying of these snakes that are coming and, and biting people, and then the people are dying from the poison of these snakes. It's this, it's this weird story, and yet uh, what, what, what God tells Moses to do is make this bronze snake and put it on a pole, and whoever looks at that snake, if they're bitten, then they'll be okay. It's a, again, it's kind of a weird story. We're not going to go way into it. I encourage you to read it on your own. But there's all these parallels to salvation in Jesus. I mean, just look at that. What does that look like? Doesn't it look like Jesus on the cross? That you, and so that's what I think he's saying when he says, just as this snake was lifted up, so I must be lifted up. And he says this again in John 12, that he's going to die like a seed is died, dies and, and, and is buried. And he talks about, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Clearly, he's talking about the cross. He will be physically lifted up. And what the cross was, was uh, it, it was like, it, it, the equivalent today would be like if you took someone and you, 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 you stuck them to a billboard on the 405. And you put on the billboard, here's what this person did. And, and they slowly die on that billboard. I mean, that's the idea of the Romans was they, they would put a, this crucified person at a place where people pass by. And it was basically like a, a, an advertisement for what happens when you oppose Rome. And so Jesus turns that on its head, and he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The cross becomes the answer. The cross, which is Satan's greatest triumph, Rome's greatest triumph, that we can do whatever we want to anybody, becomes the way of salvation. It's, it's so amazing and so incredible. But that's what he's talking about, is this offer of salvation, that God gave his one and only son. 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that's the most well-known passage, right? John 3.16, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, but then he goes on a little bit and, and, and puts a little bit of flesh on that. He says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Isn't that true? Men and women love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And so he says that even though there's this offer of salvation, even though there's this opportunity to, 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 to be in the light, by and large, most people don't want it. Why is that? Why are we so afraid of the light? I think because it happens at an early age, teaching us at the age of teens, even more like junior high, we start to learn to hide. We start to learn to not be real. We start to learn that it, when you're vulnerable, when you're open, you get bullied. When you're real, you, you, you get taken advantage of. When you're vulnerable, somebody's going somebody's gonna to step on you. I learned that in middle school. Boy, I tell you what. You know, I, I, I remembered to, to, to hide myself, to hide who I really am. And so we, we become afraid. We become afraid of being really are. We become consumed with what people think of us, even, uh, in, in our teen years. And I remember for myself, I grew up in the church. I grew up knowing Jesus, who Jesus is, uh, knowing the words of the Bible. But I was afraid of really being real. And I was also trying to kind of fit in everywhere. <laughs> I wanted to be popular at school, but I also wanted to, be, to fit in at church. And so I remember being in this situation where... Nobody knew the real me, and I remember being so afraid of being exposed, of who I really am. And I even had two groups of friends. I had my worldly friends, and then I had my church friends. And I remember not even wanting the two to connect, because they would, they would, not, they would be able to see that I, I'm not a, the same person in, in each of these locations. And... Uh, and it, wasn't a, it was a miserable existence for me because I wasn't really living my real self. I wasn't really being a, a Christian, and I wasn't, you know, you know, I was trying to walk the line or whatever they say, you know, trying to ride the fence, as they say. And it, it, it was like in 2 Timothy 3, 5, where it says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Like I knew some about God, but I, I had no power in my life because I wasn't a real Christian. I wasn't really living the life. Of a, of a Christian. And so that's what gives me so much, uh, I, I feel so proud of our teenagers in, in our ministry who are, are, are living, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing their church friends into their, their school or they're bringing their school friends into their church world. And, and, and it's so amazing and so awesome. And, and I, I remember making that decision. I'm going to really be a true blue disciple. I'm going to give my whole life to Christ. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to be, I'm going to tell my friends at school who I really am. And, you know, I'm just going to be real. And it was a scary thing to come into the light because I was afraid. But, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I came into the light. Yeah. And, and, you know, you come into the light and you go, okay, I'm afraid. I, 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 nobody else struggles the way I struggle. Nobody else can. And then what you find as you talk to trusted friends uh, is everybody's the same. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's in the wrong. Everybody, you know, and we, so as you open up, you, you don't find judgment, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to judge the world. I came to what? Save the world. And so we think we're going to find, you know, ju judgment and, and condemnation. But instead, when we open ourselves up 
to God and open ourselves up to the people God's put in, in our life, when we really do get open, what do we find? We find salvation. We find grace. We find mercy. Uh, we find camaraderie. We find connection. We find meaning and purpose. And, you know, it's like, why did I hide in the darkness? The light is so much better. And so, uh, you know, I want to ask you, you know, how, how are you, what's your relationship to light? You know, are you kind of hiding in darkness or is your light, is the light in, in opening up? Are you, have you opened yourself up to the light? And, and we have that choice as we go along through, through daily life uh, and through our, our Christian walk. Some of us are, are older Christians. We've been around a long time and maybe we've let the light kind of dissipate and we've let the darkness creep back into our, light, our, our lives and we need to make that decision again to be open, to be real, to be transparent, uh, to have some, some conversations with the people in our life about what's really going on in our lives. Um, and again, grace is where we can be real. That's what's amazing about grace is we can be honest about who we really are. And others of us are new to the church or new to Christianity or even yet to become Christians. And I just want to appeal to you. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save it. He wants you to live a full life a re to your true self. You're not going to be perfect, but you're going to be committed to Jesus. And, and Jesus, that, he makes all the difference. He died on the cross for our sins so that we can be ourselves, so we can be real. And, and we can be ever transformed. And when you become a Christian, when you have that born-again process, as I talked about earlier, now the Holy Spirit is within you, and now you are transformed to be more and more and more like Jesus and have more and more impact with your life. And uh, it's amazing. It's awesome. So make some decision to, to let the light into your own life today. We're going to get to hear from a couple of our teens about this uh, idea of coming into the light, of being our true selves, and about being born again. Uh, Aiden Huerta, if you didn't know, was just baptized yesterday. So... So he's going to be sharing. Uh, he's going to be sharing a, a, a little bit and praying for communion. And before he does that, my daughter Cora, she wrote a song called "You Are My Everything" that talks about this idea of coming into the light. Uh, some of the words are, "I was such a fool, so blinded in a dark room," but then it says, "You lighted, you lighted this room," and she, she says, "Now I can really be who I am. Now I can finally see the horizon, like." God, you open things up. You come into my room and you open up my life. So uh, we're going to watch a quick video recap of, uh, of Aiden's baptism. And then uh, the worship team is going to come up here and, and we're going to be able to share Cora's song here. And then Aiden's going to share a little bit and we'll have communion. So uh, let's watch Aiden getting baptized. All right. So how's it going, South Bay? Um, so, as Brian said, I'm Aiden Huerta. I just got baptized yesterday. Um, I think, yeah, it's been a full day of being a disciple. So, proud of that. But, um, but yeah, so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just been, it is very, it's, like Brian kind of said, you get very afraid going into it. You're afraid that um, you're afraid of how you're going to be judged, but you just got to put your faith in God. So um, I'm just going to share kind of um, how pre-salvation went. 
Um, well, not yet, but pre-baptism, being saved. But um, I, I kind of felt like um, I kind of had no purpose in the world. Like, not like, okay, that sounds really bad. But um, I feel like I wanted to have an identity in something, like whether it was sports, grades, or kind of something else. And I felt like I didn't really have that. So, um, yeah, I just kind of, um, yeah, I was just always kind of feeling emotional about that. But I started opening up to people about that, like my dad and some of my best friends. And um, and then, I, like, reading over, like, John 15, it references that, like, the world hates disciples. So... I can have my identity in Christ. Like, I don't need to have it in something else. Um, yeah, it's just, um, it's, yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't want to share another scripture. Um, it is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Dang, I wish I had that ready. Um, it says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So, um, yeah, that was me kind of dying to my old self, wanting to be um, kind of representing kind of the world. I, I wanted to be something else that, um, that kind of wasn't in Christ. I wanted to be like a, kind of a great athlete, but it didn't work out the right way. But, um, but I'm very satisfied now with having my identity in Christ, being a disciple of God. So, um, so yeah, I'm very happy about that. And I've noticed that um, God's already challenging me with stuff already with, within my first day of being a disciple. Um, like my brother, it's, it's, um, it's been very stressful but, um, throughout the night, but, um, but he's testing my faith, so I just got to stay faithful through that. But, um, so, yeah, well... I'm going to pray for communion, so if we could please bow our heads for that. Um, well, dear Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you that um, you brought each and every one of us here today, God, and I thank you that I'm in this spot now, and I'm saved, God. And um, I pray that um, as we take your body and your blood, God, it just blesses our bodies, and um, we could just really be connected through you. And Jesus, now I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.